0: Truck stop murder and true crime podcast. I'm your host Gary Howard, and if you're a return listener, thank you. If you're not, let me tell you a little bit about my show. I do. I'm a truck driver for prima Express. I work out of Illinois as an OTR driver, and I drive all 48 states. And during that time, I have to take a 10 hour break. Unless t- today, I'll get into that. <laughs> but and during that 10 hour break, I stay at truck stops in talk about the trucks I talk about the truck stops and I talk about a murder that happened around it I say as for today because I just got reset but I was driving a little bit dirty yesterday about two and a half hours so I could get closer to my customers so I could deliver today but some information that was given to me wrong for many years got me pulled into a scale house where they found that that me riding dirty yesterday for two and a half hours and shut me down for 10 hours so right now, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee, on the I-40 westbound side. And so if you're a truck, well, I guess you're going to be listening to this after. Effect. I'm about to say wave hi to me. So maybe you might have saw me if you're a truck driver listening to this and you drove by and saw a Prima, a blue Prima Express truck there. By the way, if anybody wants, you can look for me on the road. I drive a blue Prima truck with truck numbers 258. So if you see a blue Prima express truck with truck number 258 you'll see my sticker i also have a time suck sticker on the driver's side but blow your horn say hi but that's where i'm at this is that's where i'm at right now but this case is brings you brings me somewhere else when i was in missouri at casey's truck stop it's right there on 57 on i-57 Let's see where it may be at. I-57 on... You can find it on Story Street on exit 12 going on the north side of the exit. But it's not too bad of a truck stop. There's a Flying J right across the street. This parking lot really not that good. It's not like a really good pave. It's just dirt. Pretty much but there is a lot of parking spots right there they say there's 40 but you could probably fit way more than 40 truck stop trucks in this area in this spot but as always i post aerial views of these truck stops so you can see if you ever go there you can see if you have i mean overweight truck stops p- trucks park there all the time <laughs> truck stops park there no that is a truck stop but trucks park there all the time and 40 spots this is overnight parking of course there's no showers there but one person i never seen no showers there but somebody said there was uh, maybe i need to look and see i don't know there's wi-fi atm and i said it's i mean you'll soon see by the reviews of it a lot of people or when i first went there I'm, i'll agree with them with the customer service but it's gotten better and like i said plenty of parking food wise the only thing that you have is the casey's food there with like they have really good fish there. When I've had, I I enjoy it, and just different truck stop foods. There's casey then there's a Mexican restaurant that's right next door to it, and a waffle and pancake place. So chicken and waffles, but says I thought it was a chicken and waffles place. Now I'm looking, all the information I'm getting right now is coming from Truckers Path. So I thought it was a a waffles and chicken, but it's waffles and pancakes according to Truckers Path. So of course there's just a right across the street is flying J. so if you don't want rather truck stop food or a few times i've been there that mexican restaurant has been closed but it's a tur- dirt parking lot but it is a place to park if we need to the flying J across the street usually fills up pretty fast but if you're a truck driver there's also and you just have your own coffee maker you don't need to stop at a truck stop if you're headed into illinois there's actually a rest area right there by the scale house there's a scale there but the scale's on the westbound side east there's a truck parking area that usually I find openings all the time when I'm there. So let's see what people think of this place. Reviews of this place overall is a 2.4 rating. And like I said, you find out that you know a lot of the one-star reviews they they're just bitching about the fuel price. You know, fuel 235 nine at 5 p.m. The fast food restaurant was closed. That's the one-star review. One stood in line for 12 minutes while five employees walked around doing nothing and only one cashier first and last going there first that's um now this is not me talking this i'm reading it as they posted it and which i could agree with them. when i first went there it was almost like the company was holding them hostage like nobody wanted to work there and the last time i went there i said i don't care how good the fishes, which is, in my opinion is really good they do have some good fish fillets there I said I'm not gonna go back there if I'm gonna be just doing with somebody who is very miserable about doing their job I'll eat somewhere else but they're they got more cheerful you know I told my wife yeah, that's gotta be what happened if they hate their job that bad just get a different one I know it's easier said than done I would say don't tweet me but no one tweets me anyhow so Let's see, three-star, terrible customer service that don't speak, just act like there's no one there. Food is okay and good parking if you like mud. Like I said, here's a five-star review. Maybe buy fuel here and you get free coffee and a free shower. There's no showers there. Anyhow, they have the hottest coffee round, and I usually don't like the Casey's Pizza, but oh my God, this pizza is good. I haven't had the pizza either. I'll have to try it and here's where after that food cold anyone behind counter gossiping about the other workers this is three star workers and not paying attention to the food that they're selling and make new okay after this there's a bunch of one star reviews you know one star review fake fuel price he did post it twice <laughs> twice fake one star fake fuel price two dollars and bad very rude customer service dollar 99 so there you go they lie with the price fuel is 199 diesel too f- so there, a lot of people just bitching about the the fuel prices i guess they saw on the sign i'm not there right now so i can't tell you what the sign says i could tell you what this app says it says diesel price is 249 per gallon so maybe they do i think they sell off-road diesel which is not authorized for commercial vehicles on the road but anyhow, let's talk about who I found. I found this crazy case that's just right north from here, not right outside of St. Louis, Missouri. The person of interest is Bertha Alice Williams. Let's talk a little bit about her. Bertha Al- Alice Williams was born in Morse Mill, Missouri, the daughter of William Poindexter Williams and his wife Matilda. She was one of four children in her family and her family was considered one of the area's finest and most respectable. Respectable. Her family worshiped in the Church of God, Faith of Abraham, a fundamentalist church which holds that the Kingdom of God will be established on earth when Christ returns personally and visibly to reign as King of Jerusalem. It is not a pulpit-thumping, revival-sweating church, its members study the Bible, with quite intensity, they are sometimes mockingly called "soul sleepers" because of their literally interpretation of the prophesied resurrection. Their belief that all the earth's dead lie away in the graves for a single day of judgment. In the early twenties, Bertha married a man. I'm talking about that, that. Sounds like you're talking about like a Southern Baptist church that I went to over when I first moved to Texas. And that's what they, you know, that's the Baptist believes. Everybody's, you know, in like in a slumber, and then when the day of the return of Christ will come, and with a big rump, the resurrection will happen. All the dead were Christ. But this is not a Christian podcast, so I'll move on from that. There's probably podcasts out there that go more in depth about the the resur- not the resurrection, but um, shit. My mind went blank on me. On well, the the coming of Christ. It's all. In her early 20s, back to Bertha, in her early 20s, Bertha married a man named Henry Graham. It is said that they operated a small hotel outside of Hillsboro for a time, and they also farmed, which is nothing usual. And then, seemingly out of the blue, she tucked with up a, a single man, you know, who was seven years younger than she. There was plenty of scandal. Her husband, too, was said to be keeping company with a friend. So both of them are a little fooling around. And the marriage became bitter and mean, marked by loud quarrels, which is un- which is kind of odd for the 20s. And that you know everything I heard of, where that's you know, a lot of people were cheating was not valid. That's pretty much where they got married and they stuck together. But I guess the habit especially with these country people, I mean, I, you probably saw it in, like in the city, but in Missouri in the country, it's, I've never seen much cases about that. But the other man in Bertha's life was Gene Gifford, a good-looking and affordable carpenter and farmer. One of the larger houses in Belton Morris Mill still stands today. And he helped design and construct the first permanent building for the Church of God, of which he, too, was a member. He was a graceful white country church. It was a, it was, not he was in the church. It was a graceful white country church with a delicate needle-like steeple gene was a popular man around the region a good worker fine storyteller not like me (laughs) a good friend but people said that he changed some of their changed some after taking up with bertha his life certainly did at the time he was engaged to be married and quickly broke that off folks around morrisville muttered that bertha now in her early 30s and still, by the way, I'd mention mentioned she was one of the most beautiful women in town. was was a, a strange affluence. So it was definitely a strange influence over Jean. They didn't come right out and say that, but they thought it was. Long after Jean and Bertha began spending time together, Bertha's husband came down with what was diagnosed as pneumonia. He held on for a while and rallied with Bertha in constant attendance at his bedside. But disease weakened him and he developed complications, vomiting, agonizing stomach cramps. And sadly, he, he passed away at the age of 30. Let's see, at 34. So back then, you know, they, they ended up moving to a town called Katawasa. Back then, in a town, Katawasa was almost completely cut off from emergency medical help. So this is where the story really begins. It starts off there, but they end up moving to Cadoessa. And I know I'm mispronouncing that, but I'm just Kat uh And I know a lot of words. You can read it. And it's pronounced a different way. I know I'm. I'm gonna go Katawissa. And like I said, if it's if I'm wrong, please let me know. Maybe be good to get some activity on my social media accounts or email addresses. So correct me if you can. I'd be appreciative. It would be appreciative. Pacific was at least 40 miles across the river, and the one doctor in Katowice had a lot of territory to cover. It often took a long time just to contact them. He minus was the 20s. And I think his phones were far and few. So after he'd s- seen his patients, he certainly couldn't stay around to nurse them. And since people couldn't afford real nurses, women like a girl, Bertha Gifford, who had the uh, collection and ability to care for the sick were the best possible substitutes. Every issue of the Pacific transcript in those days gave clear evidence of the true state of rural medicine. Column after column was given over to the advertisements for tonics and curals, Hall's medicine, Mrs. Winslow's Syrup, those Hall's cathara Medicines, Mrs. Winslow's Syrup, New Guttner Remedy. A tremendous affliction healed without surgery. Rheumatism leaves you forever, on and on and on and on. A cure for everything and nothing. Bertha made potions of her own, potions that, what she would call them, for treating muscle spasms, sprains and aches. She carried them with her when she made her sick bed visits. She carried all kinds of things. Let me tell you about Sherman Pounds. So. Well, Sherman was related to Jim Gifford. His uncle, I think Sherman, was a widower with five children. One of them was a still tiny baby and someone else was taking care of her. But Sherman was raising the other four all by himself. He both a father and a mother to those kids. He was a very strong man. Some people said he was about the strongest man in Katawasa. But he had a weakness. He liked to go into town and get drunk. Just about every weekend, one of his sons used to follow him to town and dog every step until he got his father on the way back home. The last time though he didn't go after his father i, I no one knows why Sherman started back at night late at night, but he only made as far as the Giffords house. They tuck him in he but he for some reason died there. You know that was back in nineteen seventeen And he was 53, this was in 1917, he was 53 years old when he died. The doctor said the cause of death was drinking. Sherman was a lot of pain when he died. Stomach vomiting and all that. So five years later, Sherman's little granddaughter, he never knew her. She died in that same house. The doctor, five years later, the doctor wrote that she died of acute gastritis. She was three years old when she died. It was a terrible thing. I remember the eldest of the Sherman's daughters saying to me, well, now we have the same thing to think about when Papa died. But that's all they did. Think about it. I still can't understand it. Don't you think the doctor must have known something or or the druggist? Maybe they were just afraid. The death of Sherman pounds on... February 20th, 1917, created no great stir in town. Everyone knew that he was a heavy drinker, and the doctor signed a death certificate routinely. The stomach cramps that came out of, during the night were the result of acute al- alcoholism. He determined that there was no inquest, no autopsy, just a small nose and a paper and a modest funeral. The fact that he died in Gifford home, Gifford's home was not thought to be the least bit strange. Bertha was a good neighbor. Since coming to town she established a reputation as a fine country nurse, always willing to help out, always there when somebody was ill or injured. She sometimes walked and ride miles at a sick bed to get to a sick bed at the scene or at the scene of accident. It was natural that she would take Sherman in and care for him, care for him when he showed up at the door. Sherman's death did not scare Bertha then keep her from offering help. She's seen death before she say stated that that was her, fir- her first husband of course where he had, where she had watched him from dead to dead. And then in 1912 her mother-in-law died while staying with Bertha and Jean. Organic heart trouble. The doctor said 16 months old, months later 16 months old 16 months later Jean's kid brother Jimmy died tragically from a sudden attack of whooping cough like Bertha looked while while Bertha looked on helplessly there was the one that uh, there was the case of the little Stuthfelder boy too little Bernard perhaps there was the saddest that was the saddest of all he was 15 months old in February of 1915 when he came down with brockinol bronchial why can't I say these words? <clears throat> Bronchitis pneumonia. Bertha sat with him through the four long days and nights, mixing his medicines and making sure he took every dose, doing everything she could. She stayed even after the complications set in, even after the vomiting and screaming. I don't know about y'all, but you see a pattern going on here with this Bertha? Hmm. But there's no proof of nothing. There's, you know, like I said. In that town, a lot of people, they just got the help they could, and they accepted it from Bertha, and nobody would think that anything different from it, that she was just helping them out, and they just died because the doctors stated other things on the Dutch certificate. If it wasn't some kind of foul play, it seems like they would have noticed something, but no one ever did. But a part of an interview from some man, a man in the 70s who grew up at the Bend on the she said she was a wonderful cook. I'll say that one of the best, people. a lot of people thought she was the best biscuit cook baker in the county. She seemed like a nice person, though one day she'd be this way, she'd be nice. One day she'd be the way, I mean mean. Her mood would change from real sweet to kind to feisty. She was sort of a good looking woman with dark hair. Now she's just a, she was the best looking woman. Now she's a good looking woman with dark hair and dark complexion, not very tall. She had a sort of a lisp. Anyone got sick, she was right there, as always. There's good old Bertha. She would run right over with the satchel. She always wore a white apron when she came to call. Later on, I think, you know, she started wearing a nurse's outfit. She was always meticulously clean. She could be so friendly, so warm. Most country people back then accepted help. It wasn't like it now. Times have changed. You have to understand that in a rural area, like I was saying, these people took death as a way of life. You know, it wasn't normal that a lot of kids died as well because this is medicine has advanced. And with you, th- with the introduction of vaccines and vaccinations, it really ended a lot of things. And which don't even get me started on these anti-vaxxers. I don't understand them. But let's talk about another person. Jim Olga was not Uh, wasn't frightened. He was angry. The Giffords owed him money and he was damned if it was going to let him get off without paying him his dues. He's been working as a hired hand for Gene and the way he figured his pay was short about $200 all towed. He talked a a lot about the money, about how he was slowly being shortchanged, about how he'd sue them if he had to. Damn if he wouldn't He'd earn every penny. That was the fall of 1917, eight months after the death of Sherman Pounds. The Giffords didn't seem much disturbed about the fuss Olga was kicking up. If they were, they did not show it. And whatever hard feelings may have been caused soon evaporated. When Olga became sick in the early November, the doctor O. Doc Hemker was called in and diagnosed the illness as malaria bertha took over there's bertha all the nursing nursing duties malaria was serious business so they want to make sure they took care of him so on november 17th bertha 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 went to pacific for a few things and stopped to see oh uncle jimmy powers where she went to tell him that this is when this, just pay attention folks the rats were after her chickens again the, on, so on November 18th Olga, t- Olga took a turn for the worst took, so she got supplies and told him and that's where she got some rat poison from this guy so on November 18th Olga took a turn for the worst and the doctor was called back he assumed that the stomach cramps were caused by the ravages of the disease the cramps became increasingly severe James Lewis Olga was 52 years old when he died on November 20th. He had been in agony for three days. On the death certificate, Dr. Hemker wrote gastritis as the cause of death. There was, as always, there was no autopsy, no inquest, and nothing was said. So, in Pacific, people from Catwasa, and I already forgot how to say that, Catwasa, did did most of their shopping there? It was the druggist name, like back to oh Uncle Jimmy James Powers, Jim Uncle Jimmy, to everyone who knew him. Bertha was one of the many regular customers. Often complained to him about them damn rats that was bothering her chickens. She was proud of her Rhode Island Reds. She said that there was going to do something about it. That she was going to do something about it. And the poison records or so ledger were kept by Powers' their pharmacy. A small red note with line pages there appeared a number of entries for a sale of large quantities of arsenic to Bertha Gifford and keep in mind I'm probably gonna go in there I don't wanna if I don't say it soon I'm looking through my notes and just what people used back in the days when I told my wife a little bit about this she was talking about then Queen Elizabeth died from that I said no mercury so this woman was using mercury on her face and slowly died from mercury poison well back then people use arsenic for different things you know beauty product so the first entry was made in 1917 as another Pacific pharmacy Bertha at another Pacific Bertha purchased arsenic as well as in 1911 for rat she wrote next to her signature there was only one short time after she moved to Katawasa after her new husband with her new husband with her new husband it was not her first marriage her first husband had died so after he was there he bought they bought the arsenic and then when he moved to Catawasa and then he moved to no he moved they moved to Catawasa and with their new husband so let's talk about another girl little Balua Pounds a little I've seen pictures of her, a little cute girl you know, a little child. When Balua's mother, so, you know, like I said, everybody, it was a small town. Everybody knew everybody, everybody trusted somebody. So it wasn't uncommon for a lot of people to drop off their kids to different places. They have the business to run, and they don't want to bring them with them. They'll just drop their kids off at the neighbor's, or, and there would be no issue. So when Balua's mother dropped her daughter off at Bertha for a few hours while she went to run errands, when she returned, she found that Balua, Balia, Bal- I don't want Cardinal a huh? Little little blue, little girl was complaining about a bad stomachache. Bertha began offering advice on what to give the child, how to make her comfortable, what to prepare her, her for her. It was decided the best thing that would leave to do was leave the child with Bertha for the night. She would be well taken care of, and everything will be all right. The next morning she was much worse. The pain was terrible, and a doctor. Horrendously summoned, Hurley summoned, Bulu Pounds was three years old, and sadly, she did not make it through the day. She had died a few moments after the doctor had arrived. Hemker listened, listened to a description of the child's symptoms and wrote, Gastritis on the death certificate. Gastritis, she'd been hearing that a lot. Mm-hmm. But this time, somebody said something. Balua's aunt asked about a post-mortem a few months later. Louis' mother told a newspaper reporter the scene that followed. My sister thought things looked pretty funny because my father also died in Mrs. Gifford's house after he was taken with acute stomach pains there. Mrs. Gifford was usually a quiet woman, but she certainly got got mad. She said terrible things as about holding a post-mortem, but people said it would be a lot of money. I didn't know the state held... Post mortems. They didn't know the state held but so she thought she had to pay for it, but the state held them. We just buried the child after the doctor treated her. Dr. W. H. Hemker said nothing. Bertha was certainly angry, so angry, in fact, that she didn't attend her funeral. It was the only funeral she missed in all of the years she lived in Katawissa. The death of Balua Pounds may have rem- reminded people of what happened to Margaret Stethfelder. Stethfelder, Stealth, but it didn't, they didn't say that Stethfelder's neighbors to the Giffords, you know, their the neighbors, had lost their baby son, Bernard, during the winter of 1915. Six years later, almost to the day, their two-year-old daughter, Margaret, came down with pneumonia. The country winter could be cruel on these kids, it, and definitely buildings were definitely not as good as they are now, the installation-wise, so, you know, a lot of people got luck cold you know and that's a theory that if you know and i should be rich if this is true some people say if you sneeze three times in a row you gonna come into some money because rich people who lived in old castles used to get cold and sneeze a lot in that case i should be a billionaire i'm not i'm sitting at a a weigh station because i drove a little bit dirty yesterday <laughs> but you know whatever i got busted just due to time i guess i'll be out of here in about three more hours Yeah, three more hours. Mrs. George Duffetter said, we called Dr. Hemker and he prescribed medication for her. Mrs. Gifford, as usual, came over to nurse the sick baby. She told me, the baby looks to me as if she's awfully sick. I don't think she's, I don't think she'll get well. At the end of the second day, Margaret began to vomit and after another three days, she passed away. The two dead Duffetter children But nothing was said. Nothing was done. So George Shamel will have a sale soon and then another person, after person, I'm just person after person of people that this one woman Bertha Gifford had encountered and the things that happened to these people and still nobody is questioning anything. Don't think there's no foul play. There's nothing going on. It's just bad luck for some of these people. So with this person, he moved to St. Louis for his new job, but not long afterwards, he moved back to Katawissa. So the bad news, so April 13th, 1920, George Sherman and his family are home again, back in Katawissa. What happened? What plans or hopes fell through? They were only gone for about three weeks. What brought them back? The pap- you know, the papers I read and everything doesn't really say much about that. No one remembers. So September 12th, 1924, Catawasa ends baseball season 13 victories and 2 defeats the honors of the outfield go to George Shemmel he took part in every game and played errisly ball all season george headed the headed the batting order in most of the games and w- was a sure man to start kadwasta on the bags the paper was filled with local baseball news every spring and summer each little town had its own team and competitions was George's son and his wife must have gone all to must have went to all the games and cheered them on. Not them keep in mind, this is not a professional, this is just a small town baseball team. And of course, they were proud of them, proud of everything. But 1924 was the last season. The next year, the Schimmels was slaughtered pretty much. Mrs. Slimmel, her name was Ethel, but the newspapers are always very proper you died at the age it was or every. Properly was always proper about her name, Ethel. Always said Mrs. Schimmel, Mrs. George Schimmel, not Ethel. You know, but on, sadly, she had passed away at the age of 33 in June of 1925. Of course, guess who was at her berth- bedside? Bertha. Bertha was at her bedside. Two months later, her nine year old son, Lloyd, passed away in the Giffords home. hmm And guess what? I'm, I bet you're thinking. What the doctor put down already? I've mentioned a few times, gastritis. <laughs> As always, a month after Lloyd's death, his seven-year-old brother Elmer followed him. Gastritis. Hmm. Three weeks after Elmer, his aunt Lu- Luanna, Leona, began vomiting. She also passed away on October. Sh- she died on October twelfth. She was thirty-seven years old. I know these facts before, you know, the facts before visiting and transcription. they knew all this. The paper added nothing to them. The deaths were reported almost routinely. There was no suspicions printed, no questions, and not even a veiled hint that somebody or anyone in Pacific or Catawesa or in the, bag, in the bend thought in, something was wrong. Nobody thought nothing. Not even George. His, his wife had been ill. It was natural for Bertha to nurse her. And he'd known the Giffords for more than 16 years, but had often worked as a hired hand for Jean. That's her husband. I know I said Eugene, but people called him Jean. In 1929, he told a reporter from St. Louis how he felt when his sons died. Mr. Gifford sent, me, sent for me, and I got, got to the house on Saturday night with my two boys. The next night, it was Sunday, Lloyd was sick with a stomach ache, Tuesday night, he was dead. A little more than a month went by, and something happened to my other boy. I didn't suspect anything. I liked the Giffords. Fine. I thought it was just my bad luck at the time. Dr. Hemker signed all the death certificates. Later, he would say that the death of the two boys had made him suspicious, by finally, and that he had suggested an autopsy on, on their uh, to their father, but George responded that the doctor had never suggested anything like that, and had owned. Suppose I was wrong. He answered, "I didn't want to lie to myself, op- lay myself open." Suppose they didn't do anything, didn't believe you. Who'd be next? What was it? What? It, what? What's it possible? You know. So he didn't know what's going on. He didn't really think what's going to come out of autopsy. Nothing. We, you clearly see what they died from. The Shimmel's death finally but st- everybody else started talking. So the shimless death finally started folks talking. They all had come to so close together and the boys had been in perfect health but the talk died down and nothing happened. It would be another three years and another three murders before somebody really started looking at Bertha and tried trying to figure it out what is going on. And then there's this one thing I I think is this, this is what I th- it was connected to but there's some I guess a little humor to this and then there was that thing that happened at Gus Unistall's. Gus was had a still in his basement he made pretty good whiskey and when he went to town to deliver the stuff he put the whiskey in a basket cover it with a cloth and put eggs on top. We, people would see him with his basket and laugh because there goes old Gus again with his eggs and his glass. Gene ran is still too, a big one he got in some trouble over that once. The revenueers blew it up, and when he was and he was fined. When they came back, Bertha went after the one of them with a shotgun. Told him, "You get off my land," which is something I would like to do. I can't do it in my truck, but I, one of these days I will try to st- distill me some liquor and see if I could do it. Matter of fact, I have a truck. I have a TV in my truck right now. Right there, right now the TV show Moonshiners. It's on. Let me see what channel is that on. It's on the Discovery Channel. I enjoy it. If you want to find some hillbilly moonshining shows, check it out. So back to my podcast, Enough of Moonshining. Gene left some equipment or something in one of the gosh sheds, and they had a little disagreement over it. I'm not saying it was over whiskey making stuff. I don't know. You know, nobody knows for sure what that was but Gus went over there to Gifford's place one day to talk about it and Bertha ran him off with a butcher knife she screamed that cursed him something awful she told people she was going to cut him up with a butcher knife a few days later it happened again and Gus had her arrested and put under some kind of bond to keep the peace of course that was later 1926 there was where Gus's mother Died while Aunt Bertha was taking care of her. hmm, it happened very fast. One day she seemed fine, and next day she was dead. I guess she somehow Bertha got in there with some some of her remedies and and then she died. I guess that was her way of getting back to her so I think this is lastly a man named Ed Brindley, a one time butcher in Pacific, who lost a shot because he's drinking he had become a farmhand and worked for Jean gifford on the evening of may 15 1927 he staggered they said stone drunk to the giffords front door after sitting there for a few moments he got up and walked outside where he collapsed on the road Jean helped him back in and put him into bed the next morning after drinking some lemonade prepared by bertha he developed acute stomach pain he died that afternoon in agony pain bertha told a neighbor that she thought it would be a good thing if brinley died for then his mother wouldn't have to worry about him anymore the remark would be remembered so would her early morning trip to powers pharmacy it was one trip too many and yeah she couldn't get away from this dr w h hemker was unsure about brinley's death all the talk of had made him uncertain he called another doctor a man from pacific for consultation consultation but the two physicians could not reach an agreement there may have been an argument the death certificate was signed by both and reads acute unknown disease and acute gastritis cause unknown and particular, you know that was their compromise of the whole situation there was no inquest Berthley quickly called the undertaker to have the body embalmed and made all the fun- funeral agreement arrangements herself. When Hempker was later asked why he hadn't ordered an autopsy, he said that he was afraid of libel suits. So, he went out to Gifford's place on the Big Bend the night of Enverly's dead died. He had all the wonderings about a lot of things ever since the Schimmel boys died, and that night he knew something was going on. Bertha reminded him of what he used, to, what he used to think about old witch would look like. You know, people, by this time, she was not the, the beautiful woman, everybody, because she worked at the farm and everything, so, and everything going on. She really aged a lot. She was wearing this awful black dress, had some strange and black on her head, and was acting in the most particular way, kind of sneaking around the room like she was trying to hear what people were saying. She, she wanted to know what everybody was talking about. The death, chatted, the death created so much suspicion, the news of the situation finally reached the county seat in Union. A young prosecuting attorney named Frank Jenny decided to take an official look at what happened. Six months after Burnley's death, the Franklin County Grand Jury began an investigation. Of course, Bertha was enraged. She threatened libel suits against anyone who said a word about her. Even a normal, quiet gene verbally assaulted neighbors he thought was gossiping about a Katawasa pr- poisoner. It worked. Witnesses scheduled to appear before the jury suddenly had nothing to say. The case dried up and the jury refused to return an indictment. But in Katawasa and Pacific, the whispering continued. Folks said the investigation had been blocked by powerful investors' invest in interests that Bertha had high-placed relatives, that it was all whitewashed. The talk was nonsense, but it kept the case alive. Eight months later, Frank Jenny tried again. This time he had done his homework. He went before the jury armed with the poison legend from the Pacific Pharmacy and with his witnesses showed up with their tongues wagging. On August 23rd, 1928, the jury returned with indictment charging Bertha with two counts of first-degree murder in the death of Edward P. Brinley and Elmer Schimmel. The story was soon splashed across the front pages in St. Louis and many other cities. As the story spread, the prosecutor officers began receiving letters and calls from people whose relatives had died while under Bertha's care. The official count Of suspicious deaths rose from nine to seventeen. During the course of the second investigation, the Giffords left Franklin County and moved to Eureka, and that's where Chief Andrew McDonald of Webster Groves found them on August 25th. After placing Bertha under arrest, he drove her to the office and gave her a bite to eat. He talked to her quietly and shrouded, and and. well we don't know what that word shrewd, shrewd shredded and they chatted to, for a little bit about a few things but she kept coming back to one topic people are talking about her she said people are saying terrible things about me they're saying that i killed a little blue pounds with arsenic but she didn't but she said that she did not do that Bertha insisted the girl died from eating too much food and nuts she wasn't given arsenic mcdonald just listened and nodded then he followed with his copic stink okay he said but who did you give it to an hour later he he had a signed confession and birth admitted putting arsenic and medication she gave to the shima boys and Ed Burnley. i did it to ease their pains which she believed she said later she added i told you about giving some of the arsenic maybe i gave some others arsenic too mcdonald drove her to union and next day after learning that her confession had been made public bertha became hysterical and denied all of it her bizarre jailhouse behavior the moaning and the pacing and the seclusion had begun of course eugene stuck by her she was just nervous when she said those things she didn't know what she was saying he hired a lawyer and a plea of not guilty on bertha's behalf at the arrangement arrangement held in next week. On September 1st, the State Health Commission issued a scattering statement about the actions of the doctors of Kaso- Katawasa- it was It is a physician's duty to determine the cause of death before filing a death certificate. The statement concluded, it is his duty to the community in which he pra- the practices and himself. The commissioner ordered the Bureau, bureau uh, vital statistics refused are to accept any certificates lacking a concise and clear statement of the cause of death during the third week of september the bodies of brindley and schimmel brothers were exhumed and of course a large amount of arsenic was found in their vital organs the trial began on november 19th it lasted four days once again the case big city headlines and reporters flocked to union and combined the back roads from the stories and the stories was everywhere as expected the courtroom was jammed the receipts for over 180 people and all of them was filled men and women stood in the back and lined corridors outside country farmers and overalls mingled with the suited clerics from town and talked about the strange deaths. the prosecutor chose to try the brindies brindley murdered first announced that he would seek the death penalty the gallows for bertha tenants rose even higher by the afternoon the defense was handled for the most part by a careful man named james booth when i first read it i was thinking about john wilts booth but nope not him a tall heaviest well, he was already dead by the while this was all going on but for some reason i thought about james <laughs> john wilts booth but it's james booth a tall, heavy set, rumpled, tobacco chewing country style lawyer who was known uh, to be one of the best defense attorneys in the state. He pecked and bartered the prosecutor's witnesses for two days, put on quite a show, but he kept his cards hidden. The prosecution's case was well knit tight, too. The telltale arsenic was methodically traced with, from our pharmacy to farmhouse and lemonade to liver, friendly's liver, and tried as he might as a scorer as he did jim's booth couldn't break the tight noose of the circumstantial evidence around his client's neck but he never really thought he would so he went into thinking that just trying to get like not the death sentence for sure so earlier on the third day after the prosecution had rested booth called jean gifford before jean gifford bertha had been paying little attention during the first you know she was not really looking around nothing just for the first few days. She appeared listless and withdrawn, rarely looking at the witnesses, hardly saying a word to her own lawyer. She stared down at her hands or up at the wall, seemed lost and alone. But when Jean took the stand, her attitude changed abruptly. Her body tense, her hands clenched, and she looked unblinkably at the witness box. Booth played his ace. He led Jean through a line of questions that pointed one way Jean testified that 10 years before his wife had gone through a crisis in life that forever for ever since she had suffered frequent attacks of melancholy she sometimes walked the floors for two or three nights in a row he added and would have sit for several sit for hours and not say a word Jean was quickly followed by four other witness neighbors mostly who testified that for a long time bertha had been nervous excitable there was no attempt to refute the prosecution there was no different game five doctors you know looked at her you know paraded on stand and all of them said that they had examined bertha in her cell and was convinced beyond a doubt that she was insane the prosecutor then pulled off the biggest surprise of the trial he called two Psychiatrists, the defense, the defense witness had all been generally pr- practic- practitioners. Practitioners, the courtroom hush was there a rebuttal? But both psychiatrists back then, they were often called alienists, stating that Bertha was undoubtedly incurably mad. <laughs> I love the way how they say them. You, she, that woman was mad. You know, Prosecutor Jenny followed his witness with a cementation urging the jury to find the defendant insane, but not set her free. He was either on overnight covert of the trial, whole trial, and had been carefully scripted. Take your pick. He, the results is the same. The jury was out for three hours. It would have been three minutes, but one old farmer kept demanding an eye for an eye no matter what the doctors them because the doctor said and they're all saying she was crazy and mad he was finally beaten down and talked in some sense too I believe the j- jury man found that Bertha had killed Ed Brantley but had been insane at the time and still insane she was committed to state hospital in state hospital number four in Farmington so there you go so she was found guil- not guilty, but unreasonable. Of its, you know, she was sane at the time of it, but she was not getting left free. She was going to spend her time in a mental institution. So the trial revealed nothing, but it was good theater and it served its purpose. The growth had been removed, and what had been feared as malignant and violent is now perceived as almost benign. benign. One of the doctors stated that Bertha probably killed because she wanted to be good and this end the suffering, so suffering, and send souls to heaven. A neat surgical ending, no reputations re- repercussions with serious damage. And let me read that again. That don't make no sense. I'm blabbing through this. I think I'm trying to rush through here. I need to slow down. No repercussions was seriously damaged and no one was left alone to hold the bag, not even a little black bag. So she was, thought she was helping these people. The local newspaper didn't get much space to the trial, it just ran select experts' excerpts from the St. Louis paper and let it go to them. Too dangerous to print its own stories, too many big toes could be stepped on, the doctors and the druggists, the undertakers, the editors, and all had to live together all in the same town during during the years that followed the people in Katawissa heard from Bertha from time to time there was one family with a relative in Farmington and during visits they sometimes saw Bertha she was working in the hospital's beauty shop beauty shop she told them but there was she well but but why was she there at all she asked what has she done a few years later she told them that she's been transferred to the kitchen, and was made a cook. <laughs> Once in a while, Jean dropped by to see old friends. I, I'm laughing because the cook, because she was cooking, she was known for her to be the best cook. And maybe some that poison made it through the food. I don't know. Nothing was said about that. So Jean dropped by to see old friends, and they heard he was keeping company with a woman. And Eureka, boy, they said. Bet Bertha would love to cook her up a mess of food for her. And everyone, of course, everyone laughed and almost, you know, almost everyone. Ber- but Bertha ended up spending 23 years in Farmington. She died on August 20th 1951. Jean arranged to have her body brought to Pacific for a very private funeral. She is buried in Morse Mill Cemetery. Her grave is unmarked. Undertaker's records show that the service and burial cost 266 dollars cents. And Jean put down $166.69. The balance is marked as unpaid. unpaid? It will stay that way. Gene died in 1957 and took all the answers with him. He never said a word about everything. So she was always talking about how, you know, she was helping these people. But the truth is the painful, about the poison and victim, you know, the poison is always you known. Arsenic is a horrible way to die. Remember arsenic and the old lace, I I have to look up this, and the two maiden ants who added arsenic to the mulberry, or was it elderberry? Wine then they offered unfortunate wayfarers who came to their home looking for a room and remember how quickly, how painless the victims passed on with merely the time to comment on how delicious the wine was and then they passed out and died. Nice way to go, right, wrong? ever since Victorian novelists and rag sheet reporters tagged arsenic as an insecticide, phenomenon but rather a mild form of murder, only pathologists attending physicians only pathologists attending physicians poisoners and victims have known the truth arsenic is a horrible way to die. Arsenic is one let me say, arsenic is one of the heavy metals for centuries as far back as the Greeks and Romans and medical property properties was explored. In most recent times it was used as a treatment for valerinal disease and various forms of pesticide infestation. It was also a popular component of over the counter health tonics. This is what blew my mind. People put arsenic on their face because or ingesting it in cosmetics. In a low dose ingested there, you go ingest it over a long period of time actually can provide a peaches and cream or milk and roses complexion because it causes the blood vessels of the skin to dilate. So they're taking poison to look good, like I was saying with Queen Elizabeth with her mercury, where she slowly died of mercury poison. When used as a poison, this is when administered in large doses, the effect is hardly cosmetic. Severe gastrointestinal pain, which would, gastritis was always put down, pain is, Experienced within an hour or so after the poison is taken. This is generally followed by a burning cessation around the lips, a tightening of the throat, increasing difficulty, and in swallowing. The next swallowing. The next symptoms include severe headache, vertigo, stupor, blurring, and vision, and muscular cramping, atrophy, and well, with atrophy. Well, anyhow, and coma. Death may come within 60 minutes, but usually takes longer. Ar- arsenic kills by inhibiting sulfurial. I'm not even going to go into that word. A major a vital protein group. A mechanical algae is, is, is help it out. Imagine a machine. This is how have, how this stuff works. Imagine a machine with some ten thousand parts. Now imagine that two thousand of the parts are all broken at the same time. This will give you some idea of the relative importance of the sulfurical groups. That's the main organs. That will give you some idea of the relative importance of them. You know, the victim's liver, stomach, ingestive intestines, kidney, skin, and different parts of the nerves are all affected. Along with respiratory function, death may actually occur from numerous causes because what is taking place is a massive, ongoing, spreading breakdown of the body's ability. Bertha's, Bertha Gifford's function, you know, arsenic is not a you know corner her ability to do that my notes went off sideways right there for a second so Bertha Gifford was like I said was once a beautiful very beautiful it was said that her youth had been her youth had been a little follow-up on everything a youth had been one of the loveliest loveliest girls in Jefferson County that she had been courted by many and had loved to dance such things and many others were whispered in the hallways of Franklin County Courthouse in the town of Union during the fall of 19, let me, 1928. People was talking about Bertha because it was late November when the circuit court convened. She was scheduled to stand trial for murder like all that trial had. And some of the murderings were tinged with disbelief. It was believed that Bertha Gifford was not anything but beautiful. She was thick and heavy set. Some newspaper stories referred to her as plump, but plump is a soft word, and she was not soft. Her face was weathered, beaten, flowered by years of work in the sun. Now, too, it was showering the effects of three months in jail, but what most struck those who saw her was her expressions, or rather lack of expressions. Her eyes were dead. Her Bertha. Miss Gifford, Missouri serial, serial killer who murdered six children. Miss Bertha Gifford, the tireless Good Samaritan and deathbed watcher of Merrimack River, Missouri, suspected of killing seventeen, uh, suspected of seventeen murders, most of them children of weeks. The police say she was confessed three and admitted to, admitted that there had, might have been more. So for. The, Sixteen years in old farmhouse known to Casuisa House of Mystery, the strange character has held herself ready to dash to for the bedsides of every dying neighbor within a twenty miles. Eagerly, she would jump out of the warm bed in the middle of the night, put on her nurse's w- white uniform, which was always hanging at the chair on the chair, and drive her old car or before the horse and buggy through any sort of weather even in the blizzards when no wheel can turn. She would plow her way on foot, on, on foot along cow paths between 10-foot snowdrifts. Snow Nothing would, keep, would, would stop this determined woman who usually managed to get there ahead of the county doctor. And nobody suspected anything when people started dying. And good old Bertha, now at the time 50 years during the trial, But once the bell of Merrimack Valley really was a good Samaritan, provided her patients with, actually went through with the program of dying as expected. In that case, with prayers and tears and tender ministrations, she eased their last moments, and she never asked money for her service, so she never got paid for none of this stuff. The only trouble with Bertha, the police say, was that when her patients rallied and gave promise of recovery, she resented such attempts to cheat the grave and feed off, fend them, feed them rat poison. Miss Gifford was a passion of deathbeds and funerals, so she really liked, a lot of people said that's all she would talk about, As you'll read the newspapers, talk about death, and talk about murders and different things like that, but yeah, Gifford was a passion for deathbeds and funerals, of which she only missed one in 18 years. But just as you sometimes become so oversighted about running to fires that they finally got the their are mom tongue tied. think again calm down where they were finally setting themselves to watch this death deathbed fam it is charged that could not resist the temptation when anyone started to withdraw from the edge of the grave to just push him in a little arsenic to help him on their way. She took command of the funerals too, like to see everything done right. Even going as far as to pay for the bombing of one of her victims, Mrs. Gifford thought not tra- she was not a trained nurse, was a very competent volunteer, one of the doctors well known, well knew. She, the doctors all well knew her, so they never really questioned nothing about her. She could keep temperature and nourishment charge and understand symptoms and drugs, therefore it might be allowed a description in administrating medicines, so they you know because they knew her, and like I said early in the, the, the podcast here, a lot of people, the doctors may, have you ever watch any old West or even goes with like um police. There was like a big areas, and there'd be like one sheriff who operated the whole thing where they have to get somebody and bring them to a certain area. Well, this was no different with the medical field. They might be a doctor, like I said, in one town, but they have to have care nurses to take care of them, and Bertha was not, you know, but they, nobody thought anything about her. They, she was taking care of them. She was not charged nothing, and because they did that, they never questioned any of the death. They just put down what she told them and they just no autopsy, no nothing until the final death and people start getting really suspicious. So Bertha seems to be, have preferred churning over her patients whenever she could get them. The police said that it was because they trustfully swallowed anything that she gave them as long as it didn't taste nasty. And they never presumed to correct any misstatement she'd take to the doctor. Again, She let me read that again. And they never Presumed to correct any misstatement she might make to the doctor, so they really trust her. When Bertha took charge of the case and she took command of the household, ordering this in and that out of the sick room and impressing the family in countless ways, you know, with her superior knowledge and experience, because a lot of people, uh, half these people probably didn't even know how to read. Early in the evening and in kindly but firm professional matters, she would turn on the mother and say, now, my dear, I don't want you to go to bed, and I want you to go to bed and get good, good night's rest, so you can take my place tomorrow. Don't worry, I am here. This was really a command and a reasonable one. The mother, relieved, relieved to know that the child was in more competent hands than her own, who would of course always obey. Thus, Missus Gifford had a whole night free from witnesses, alone with her helpless, helpless child. Shortly after the re- rising hour next morning when she rose the family and telephoned the doctor so there was telephones and the little patient would be too far gone to dispute the nurse's statement that the turn for the worst had just come in and the parents would confront themselves with the thought that their baby had the best of care at the, in the its last hours and Bertha wept harder than any of them so she put on a big show And they really thought that they had left her in liable hands with bertha gifford when they left her with the nurse, dr death i guess but then again let's let's talk about this maybe like i said i went over the things about what they used the arsenic for so some medicine stuff like that so was bertha even though she did have a fascination with death and with all that was she killing these people for the show and or just really enjoyed watching death the control of people's lives, you know, of course, of the kids and stuff like that, or anybody, and just took over on that trust and used it for her own advantage. Or was she just helping these people with the arsenic because that's what they did back there? And maybe she just gave them too much, or did she really just think she was putting them out of their misery? Either way, luckily, we don't use arsenic no more as medicine. And here is the list of people that are presumed that bertha gifford had had help sending to the other side we're talking about henry graham her husband november 30th 1906 emily gifford january 24th 1912 jimmy gifford may 8th 1913 bernard soothfelder february 15th 1915 i don't know why that thing's been quiet all day now wants to talk to me my gps sherman pounds february 20th 1917 James Lewis Ogan, November 20, 1917, Mary Southfelder, February 28, 1921, Balula Pounds, December 27, 1922, Irene Southfelder, March 10, 1923, Mary Brindley, May 18, 1925, Ethel Schammel, uh, August 2, 1925, Lloyd Schammel, august 11th 1925 elmer schimmel september 22nd 1925 leona schimmel slocum i mean october leona slocum october 13th 1925 birdie unistall february 9th 1926 and finally and lastly ed brinley may sixteenth, 1927 which was the one that she they finally figured out what was going on but there you go that's the story of the nurse of death or just a helpful nurse that was just doing the wrong thing I don't know you you be the judge of that either way there's a story if you enjoyed that the me telling the tale of that please write and review on iTunes let me know if for some reason all the big people loved what listen that's where they go by for sponsors and different things to help build this thing I'm still gonna build it I'm not going nowhere my wife, Desra seems to really like me telling a story. So there you go. I'm not going nowhere. But also you can join my Facebook group. I just recently made it private. So because I started getting a lot of Bitcoin things, trying to promote Bitcoin on there. So I made it private, but I, I accept everybody. And that's Truck Stop Murder, True Crime Podcast, or on Instagram at Truck Stop Murder. On Twitter at Murder Truck. I believe last way I looked at it was that. Or if you want to email me at truckstopmurder at gmail dot com, that'll be I I strive for attention, not attention, but any kind of interaction with you. I haven't got none yet, but also I do have buy a cup of coffee. You could do that at buy a cup of coffee for slash, slash truckstopmurder. slash truck stop murder. Also, you shut up. <laughs> there she is again. I'm I'm blocked, so I can't get to my GPS, but um. Where is I at? Patreon at Trucks.Murder. At, or you could. If you want to send me the money PayPal. With a quick thing. I went blank. I'm not having a good day. I'm stuck here at the. Like I said. Way station from the beginning of the story. But it's fine. I'm going to be getting out of here in a few hours. I thought I'd record this. But Patreon. murder, Or if you want to throw me a few bucks. To help me maybe get some better equipment. Or anything. It's PayPal at Trucks.Murder. At gmail.com and thank you for listening if you made it this far and as always thank you well i need to start doing this thank you liz vasquez i don't know her username but she gave me a nice review on itunes thank you she's a a friend of mine that i met at one of the small town murder live shows i want to give you a big thank you for doing that for me i do appreciate that and you can get one too just itunes write in review five stars or if you, even if it's something bad, go ahead and email. Don't write and view me because I don't. I'm trying to keep them. Yeah, I won't have many, but they're all good. If there's something that you think I could improve on, go ahead and email me at chucksmurder at gmail dot com. Of course, my name is Gary Howard. You could probably find if you just want to get a hold of me direct. That's it. But anyhow, as always, you can't fix stupid, but you can sure numb it with a two by four. Charging awesome out.